Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, Hydrant Church family. Uh, whether you are watching this in the morning or watching it on your way to work, whenever you are watching it, we are so thankful that you chose to join us for worship. My name is Miranda, and I am the resident pastor here at Hydra, and I am super excited to be back home here in Goldsboro to partner in ministry and, and serve alongside each one of you to show Goldsboro just how much Hydra Church loves them, but more importantly, how much Jesus loves them. We have been in the midst of a series called Elephant in the Room, where, where we're talking about just that. We're talking about the elephants that live within our families, within our relationships, within our homes. And in fact, that elephant has been there for so long that it's really become the family pet. And, and Pastor Tim has challenged us with these two statements of being candid and being courageous. Are we going to be candid enough to call out the elephant for what it is? And are we going to be courageous enough to enter into those conversations to deal with those elephants. Now this week, we're going to be talking about walking on eggshells. Now I don't know about you, but eggshells are kind of gross. When I, when I was younger, I would bake with my mom, and, and anytime I was younger, she, she would let me crack the eggs, and she would say, okay, you got to be careful. And we always used to crack the eggs in a separate bowl from the batter, and I always wondered why. And then one day I remember cracking the egg, and there was eggshell all in the egg yolk and the egg white, and, and she said, that's why we do it, because eggshells are gross, they are nasty, they can be sharp, and Frankly, you, you don't want to eat them. And so I realized early on that eggs were very fragile and that eggshells were even more fragile. It doesn't take a lot of weight to crack an eggshell. And so we are going to dive a little bit deeper into the story of David. And in fact, we are going to talk about probably one of the most famous portions of David's story. Now, to set this all up, you've got to know that, that when we find David at the beginning of our story, he is seemingly on top of the world. He has it all. Like his army has just come back from winning this major battle, and, and God has promised him that his line will, will stay on the throne. And so on the, the outside, David looks like the man. David has it all together, but, but when we look a little bit deeper we see that on the inside, that's not the case. We see that David is struggling. We see that he is so focused on his own needs that he begins to neglect the needs of his people. And so the portion of the story, of David's story, that we're going to focus on is his fall with Bathsheba. The key piece to know is that Bathsheba is not David's in fact, Bathsheba is the wife of one of David's soldiers, one of David's friends, Uriah. And so we are going to be in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, but starting off, we're going to be in chapter 11. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I challenge you this week to read both chapters 11 and 12 in their entirety because this story is, is just one that shows us the power that, that 
living an elephant-free life can have for us. So chapter 11, if you would, open your Bibles or open your Bible apps or however you view and read Scripture, join along. We're going to be 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. Now that, that's a portion that you've got to remember. That's going to be key. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Did you catch that? His, David's dysfunction and his disobedience started from the very beginning. It started when he, as king, should have been at war with his men, but instead he stayed behind. But instead, he chose to, to, to dive into his wants and his needs and his feelings by staying behind. Verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. And he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. You see, Uriah was a lawyer. Uriah said to David, and we'll find that in the, the next couple of verses, he said to David, if you, my men are out at battle, your men, where I am supposed to be, they are out at battle. There's no way that I can enjoy the luxuries of being home while this is going on. And so David said to Uriah, remain here today. This is verse 12. Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. You see, David did two things with his dysfunction and his disobedience that, honestly, I, I believe that we tend to do. He tried to bury it, and he tried to ignore it. You see, David didn't just pretend. He flat out lied. He lied to himself. He, he lied to God. He lied to the people around him, which in turn was making everybody in the kingdom have to pretend that everything was okay. 
They, the, David created this tension in the kingdom that made everybody feel as if they had to walk on eggshells and they had to be careful around him for fear of what they, what they may say or for fear of how David would take it. You see, David tried to cover up his disobedience by bringing Uriah home and, and saying, hey, I, I, want, I want to spoil you. I want you to have time with your wife. I want you to enjoy the luxuries of home. And Uriah, in his loyalty, said, no. Your men are out fighting, and I'm going to sleep right here until you send me back out. And so David, David had to resort to the last thing he could think of. And he sent a letter to Joab via Uriah, telling Joab to put Uriah on the front lines where he would surely die. You see, David tried to bury his disobedience, and he tried to ignore his disobedience. You see, we believe that if we bury it, it'll go away. And we also believe that if we ignore it, well, it just simply has to get better, right? Would you believe me if I told you that elephants lay eggs? Okay, not literally, but for, for our story here and for our sermon series here, elephants have a tendency to lay eggs when they are allowed to remain in our homes, in our families, and in our relationships for such a period of time, they begin to lay eggs everywhere that the people in your house, the people that you're in relationship with, have to learn to navigate around. They have to learn the best way to walk on these eggs. And, and I don't know if you've tried to walk on eggs lately, but they're very fragile and they break very easily and eggshells and egg whites and egg yolks get everywhere and it's just downright messy. You see, everyone in your family has to learn to walk on eggshells when we don't acknowledge the elephant in the room. And when people have to learn to walk on eggshells, it, it creates this tension in our bodies that, that was never meant to be there. So what, what, what constitutes, what contributes to this tension, you may ask? Anger, mood swings, unresolved conflict, unresolved issues. And you see... When someone in your family or somebody that you're in relationship with has to use so much of their energy avoiding and navigating these eggshells, they don't have any energy left to contribute to the family. When they're so busy trying to navigate whether or not what they say or how they act is going to offend and they have to learn to walk on these eggshells, they can't contribute in a positive way to the family because their energy is spent elsewhere. You see, David chose to bury his sin by trying to convince Uriah to spend the night with his wife in order to cover up what had happened. You know, he also chose to ignore it and not talk about it, which led to an entire kingdom 
walking on eggshells. Now, you may be sitting there and you may say, well, well, Pastor Miranda, nothing like that has happened in my family. Nothing that major has happened for, for, for me and my family. So we don't have those elephants. We don't have those eggshells that we need to worry about. Can I, I just want to push. Do you avoid certain conversations with certain people because of how it may make them feel? Do, do you change the way that you act around your children or your parents or your in-laws or, or anybody in your family because you don't want to offend them? Can I tell you that if you answered yes to either one of those questions, that you definitely have elephants in your family and in your home, and, and that elephant seems to be pretty cozy right about now, so... He may be starting to lay some eggs. Can I tell you that by, by choosing to bury it and choosing to ignore it, neither one of those works. Trust me, I know. For years, and I'm, I'm talking years in my family, we had this huge elephant of the fact that we didn't really talk about our feelings. I grew up in a single parent, only child house. So it was me and my mom. My mom was my best friend. And then my grandma lived right around the corner. So it was the three of us all the time, always. And, and we had this rule in our house this, that, that the, it was an open door policy that I could go to my mom and I could go to my grandma with whatever I was feeling or thinking. And, and I, I would be met with nothing but love. But nobody really took each other up on that. Instead of talking about the way things made us feel, we just chose to bury it. We chose to stuff it down and stuff it down and stuff it down until one little thing would happen. For example, maybe my mom would turn left coming out of our driveway instead of turning right when turning right would be quicker, but she wanted to go the long way and I didn't agree with it. One little thing would set off an explosion would set off all of those stuffed down emotions and feelings that were never meant to be stuffed down in the first place. We, we avoided certain conversations and certain topics with certain family members, and we, we would justify it by saying, well, you know how your mom is, or, well, you know how your grandma is, and I'm sure my mom and my grandma said, well, you know how Miranda is. We, you see, we justified it. We didn't talk about it. And honestly, there were times in my late 20s, all the way up until a few years ago, that, that my friends would try to talk to me about something, would try to hold me accountable, but they would be too afraid to say anything for fear of how I would react. Because they didn't know if they were going to be that tipping point, if what they were going to say was, was going to be that point that would make me explode. They didn't know how I would handle it, how I would react to it. You see, they wanted to call me out, but I was not in a place to receive it. I was insanely unhealthy mentally and emotionally. And the thing about it is, only I could choose to see that and to act on it. To, to become healthier both mentally and emotionally. Only I could choose. Nobody else could choose it for me. I had to make the decision of, 
okay, you know what? I am in a bad place. I need to get some help. I need to, I, I need to be healthier. I need to be better. I need to, to live an elephant-free life. And at the time, I didn't have the words to say it, but, but it was the same concept. I learned the value of living an open, genuine, and authentic life because I had the people in my life that were not afraid to call me out. So that brings us to chapter 12. I know I said earlier we were going to be in chapters 11 and 12. Well, now is the time for chapter 12. So get your Bibles back out. We're going to be chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He said to him, and he came to him, and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had bought, and he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. This is probably one of my favorite parts of the scripture. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah, and if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, this is verse 11, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your house, and I will take your wives before your eyes, and take them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Can you for a second just put yourself in Nathan's shoes? Can you imagine Hearing the Lord tell you that you need to go talk to David, you need to go talk to the king, and essentially call him out. I can't imagine my friends that, that I've had throughout the years that have been accountability partners for me, that have been afraid to come to me for fear that they don't know how I would react. Can you imagine Nathan having to go to the king and, to, and, and call him out? I love that it says Nathan did all of that, and then he went to his house. You see, Nathan, I'm sure was nervous, I'm sure was anxious, but he knew that he needed to do this, not only for the good 
of David, but for the good of the kingdom, and because he wanted to be obedient to the Lord. So I had learned the value of living an open and genuine and authentic life. But I'd be holding out part of the truth if I didn't tell you that it wasn't always like that. I, I haven't always been met with love and with grace. You see, about a year and a half ago, I was in a season of my life where I was really struggling. It was probably one of the darker seasons of my life, and, and I needed to talk to somebody. And so a friend of mine, somebody who I was extremely close to, one of my best friends at the time, I, I asked her to go to coffee because, well, I love coffee and, and I love to have conversations over coffee. And so we went to, to get coffee and I told her. I was very open and very honest and transparent about where I was and what I was going through because I knew this next season of my life of, of healing, I was going to need her friendship. I was going to need her prayers. I, I was going to need somebody to pray with and for me, to hold me accountable. And so I, I, I wanted to practice living a vulnerable and transparent and open life. And so I laid it all out, tears and all. I laid it all out on the table thinking that I would be met with love and with grace, but instead I was met with hostility, instant judgment, instant unforgiveness, and, and honestly borderline hatred. I left that conversation in even more tears than what I was during it because I couldn't understand I couldn't understand why I was met with such negative emotions and reactions until I was praying and, and seeking wise counsel that I realized that God does not call us to live in toxic environments. That, that it's okay to do a little bit of pruning. You see, John chapter 15 tells us that God will give us discernment to be able to remove those branches or those relationships in our lives that don't bear fruit. It took a while for me to realize that this particular friendship, this particular relationship was one that just simply wasn't bearing fruit. It was an unhealthy branch in that it was okay for me to do a little bit of pruning. I want you to hear this because, frankly, I also need to hear this. We cannot grow into the people that God has created us to be while we are still carrying around the dead branches, the unhealthy branches, that, the unhealthy, toxic weight. God calls us to prune. With all that being said, now what? I believe one of the biggest pieces to living an elephant-free life and to cultivating an elephant-free environment is that we have to remember that even though we are called to live transparent lives, that does not give us the right to be fully truth and no grace. There has to be a balance of grace and truth. For me, this is a constant learning that, that I am having to do in and of myself because I find myself leaning more towards grace than I do truth. 
but there has to be a healthy balance of both. Can I tell you something? People will not care about what you have to say if you're a jerk about it. They're just not going to care because they're, they're going to be shut off to it. So make sure there's a balance of both grace and truth. You see, if there are unresolved issues in your family, in your relationships, solve them by means of, of, help, of, of creating and cultivating an environment that is safe and healthy and open to have these conversations. Now, I may step on some toes with my next statement, but, but seek counseling. Seek therapy. I know that there's this huge debate, but can I tell you as a product of, of, of someone who has sought counseling, has gone to therapy, that it is okay. That you can have both Jesus and a counselor. Jesus and therapy. It's okay. And I can tell you that my life has been forever changed because I sought counseling. Because I continue to have and seek counseling opportunities. Because I believe, I've, I've heard the phrase, well, if you're struggling, it just doesn't mean you haven't, it just means you don't have enough faith. Can I tell you that that's just simply not the case? For me, I was struggling and I got to the, the pit and I was struggling with depression and anxiety and, and realized that I couldn't help myself on my own. I had to seek out wise counsel and that was the most freeing thing I could have done. It gave me tools to start having these conversations, to, to have candid and courageous conversations about the elephants in the room that either I had created or that my family had created or that my relationships have created. So seeking counseling and therapy has the ability to set your entire family free. You just have to be willing to take that step. You see... David also had an accountability partner in Nathan. And so my question is, who is your Nathan? Who is somebody that is allowed to call you out, to call out and to hold you accountable? Do you have those people? You see, Nathan knew that David needed to hear what he had to say. And he loved David enough to say it to him. To live an open and honest and transparent life will allow us to cultivate an egg-free, elephant-free life. And I promise you, I, I, it's not going to be easy, but man, will it be worth it. Let's pray. Father, I just... I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together to, to dive deeper into your word. Lord, would you go before us? Would you give us boldness and courage to be candid and courageous with calling out and dealing with the elephants in the room? God, would you allow us to seek out wise counsel when it's needed? 
Father, would you be with us as we go on this journey of creating open and honest and safe environments for our family to live elephant-free lives. God, we give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise because you deserve that and so much more. So God, we say thank you and we love you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.